You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Well, today what we're, we're going to do is we're actually going to take a deep dive into a book of the Bible. And the book of the Bible today is the book or the letter of Jude. So what we're going to do to start with, because it's only 25 verses, I'm going to read it in full and then we'll pray and then we'll dive in together. How's that sound? All right, here we go. Jude 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage." But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, 
In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude. It's safe to say that it's a, a New Testament letter that, that's often neglected. Now, I don't want to put anyone on the spot right now this morning, but I would imagine that if I was asked just generally, where is Jude in the Bible? A lot of us might be flipping to the index to work out exactly where it is. It's One reason I believe it's overlooked is a lot like why Philemon, or Philemon, as N.T. Wright likes to say, um, is because it's so short. It's only 24 verses, and it suffers that same fate as Philemon for the same reason. But here's the thing. Just like Philemon, Jude is an important and a powerful letter. And more than that, it's actually an important word of encouragement. It's a word of encouragement for those of us who are living in this age that we're living in right now. In end times, waiting for Jesus to return as he's promised to do. So why is, so, why is Jude so good? Why is it such an important book? for us, those of us who believe, but also why is it an important book for those of us who might not yet have chosen to place their faith in Jesus Christ? Well, let's find out as we explore and open this letter together today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given us the very, the very tools in which to live this life and be focused on eternity, God. Lord, no one can say that we do not know, we do not, have, uh, we do not have resources, we do not have words, we do not have guidance in how to follow you in this life, what to look out for, what to do, what to avoid, because, Lord, we just need to open your word and it's all there for us. Your, your word guides us in all truth and righteous living. And so, God, this morning, as we, as we open up your word and, and look at Jude, God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, God, that you would stir us. If we are people of faith, that we would be stirred to persevere. If we are not yet people of faith, that we would be stirred to turn to you and find hope for all eternity through saving faith in Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would work, Holy Spirit, on our hearts, not just in our minds, but into our hearts so that we can leave this place changed, changed, transformed, with a renewed passion to stand firm. So we pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. 
Amen. All right, you can do your own deep dive into the background, but I'll, I'll do a little bit for us this morning. So who, who is Jude? Who's the writer of this letter? Well, scholars generally accept that the Jude who wrote Jude was Jude, who, or Judas, or Judah, depending what language you choose to translate it in, and they accept that it was Jude who was one of Jesus' brothers. See Matthew 13, 55. There's, there's absolutely no reason to dispute this. This view has history on its side. After Jesus' ascension in Acts 1.14, we, we can read that Jesus' brothers, those brothers who were like, who's this guy I think he is? What did they do? They became followers of Jesus after his ascension. They became disciples. And then in 1 Corinthians 9.5, we actually discover that they eventually became leaders within the church community leaders of the early church. So they went from despising and maybe being a bit envious of their brother to following him and then paving the way for future generations to continue to trust in their brother. Yeah? Eusebius, he he was an ancient historian, handsome-looking guy. He records that Jude's grandchildren were both leaders in the Jerusalem church and were actually tried before Domitian. So you can, you can safely say that there was a legacy of faith in the family, that's for sure. So you might be thinking, well, if that's who Jude is, why doesn't he refer to himself as Jude, the brother of Jesus? Like, wouldn't that give more weight to what he's talking about? Well, I think generally people agree that he doesn't say that simply out of humility. Like, it's actually a humble act. Bo, Bo Reiki, he's a Swedish New Testament scholar, he says this. He says, even though the author calls himself the servant rather than the brother of Jesus, this is fully understandable as an expression of modesty. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So that's who wrote Jews, Jude. But who did Jude write his letter to? Who was his audience? We're not going to dig into this in too much detail. You can go and do that, and I encourage you, do that this week. Read Jude again. And dig in deep for yourself. But Jude's audience clearly included a large Jewish cohort. Why? How how can we be sure of this? There was nothing in what we just read, what we just heard. How can we be sure of this? Well, simply put, because of the repeat references to religious writings that a Jewish audience would have been very familiar with. Writings in the Torah... And the prophets, which, as we learned last year in our God story journey, they're they're Old Testament books, collections of Old Testament books. And not only that, but also other works that aren't included in Scripture. Uh, You might have heard me read about Enoch, for example, and the letter of one Enoch. So, you know, they're, they're actually pointing to texts that Jewish people would have been very familiar with, both within our canon of Scripture, contained within our Bible, and extra-biblical resources as well. Now, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he, he says this about, which I think is really helpful when we see and something referenced from outside of Scripture. He says, A book doesn't have to be in the Bible to speak an important message to God's people. Isn't that true? 
And Jude, continually, he, he quotes one Enoch multiple times to share important messages with God's people. If you want to know any more about that and extra biblical resources and why they're not included in the canon of Scripture and all that sort of thing, hit me up. Come and chat with me sometime. I'm happy to have the conversation. No time for that today. But that, this is just a very quick insight into why this letter was written. Scholars all accept that this letter was written to a predominantly Jewish community. Messianic Jews, Jewish followers of Jesus, Yeshua. Simply put, many of the things that are referenced here would have only been familiar if you were of Jewish heritage. Okay, so that's who wrote it, who the audience was, what's the big idea, what's the core message of Jude's letter. Core message is really simple, contending for the true faith. That's the core message of Jude, contending for the true faith. In Jude 1.3, Jude writes these words that explain why it is he's writing. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There you go. That's his, that's his purpose. That's why he's writing. He's, he's writing, friends, to encourage his hearers to stand firm to stand firm, to refuse to compromise, to stick with what they know and what they know is Jesus, to stick with the faith that was delivered to them even when plenty of other people aren't doing that. You might say, well, okay, well, why is this the theme of his letters? If you this week have a read over it, you'll see in verses 3 through 19, it makes it perfectly clear false teachers have risen up in the church. And Jude describes them like this in verse 4. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Youch. Wouldn't want that to be said of you, would you? Now, study the sins of these false teachers for yourself this week. You'll, you'll see lots of Old Testament references and that sort of thing. But let's just say that Jude certainly doesn't mince his words here. He's clear, he's direct, he calls it out for what it is. In verse 4, Jude actually accuses them of apostasy, which, of course, um, if, if you're not familiar with that term, it means complete denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like believe, once believing all this and then saying, no thanks, I'm not going to believe that anymore. I'm going my own way. I want nothing to do with you. That's apostasy. He's saying essentially that these false teachers have renounced Jesus, have abandoned the gospel, and his words, not mine, have perverted the grace of God. Now, interestingly, and this is really interesting for us and to consider if, as we follow Jesus or if we're considering following Jesus today, Jude doesn't go on to refute them on every point of their teaching, on their theology. But he wisely discerns and highlights them as being false teachers on the basis of their 
behavior. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't go in on all the answers and the nuances of what they're saying. He doesn't target their teaching, but he targets their way of life. As Tim Mackey says, their moral compromise is what tells you they have bad theology. Now, friends, I think this is really important for us to see. So often we think about false teachers and we get caught up in breaking down their teaching, don't we? We, we get trying to tease apart the nuances of their theology, separating the, the, the core truths from the half-truths or the distortion of truths. And this is an important thing to do, no question. Don't, don't hear me wrong, that's an important thing to do. But it's not the only measure when it comes to discerning if a teacher is sharing something false or not. Too often, I think, in our modern day culture, we do this all the while excusing or looking past a teacher's behaviour. Look at some big names in the world church. I'm not going to name names this morning. I don't need to. You can think about it. You, you read about it, unfortunately, all over the internet. The multiple accusations of sexual impropriety or verified affairs that people have been shown to have engaged in. The fact that some false teachers have divorced their wives to marry a younger model. That they've asked their followers, many of their followers living in abject poverty, to give financially to support their ministry so they can purchase a brand new Learjet while they can put their five-year-old one back in the garage. I mean, seriously, it's absolutely sickening. It's absolutely sickening. Absolutely sickening. This is, this is a quote by one well-known televangelist. He actually said this. There's a video of him saying this. Just trust me on this. He says that you should support me so I can purchase a brand new private jet so, because then I will no longer need to fly commercial with other people in a, quote, long tube with a bunch of demons. I mean, like seriously. Don't give money to people like that, friends. Don't support ministries like that. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. I think more than ever, we need to take Jesus at his word, not just Jude here saying, hey, don't worry about all this other stuff and the nuances of whatever. I'm just saying, look at their behavior here. They're false because of their behavior. We need to take Jesus at his word when he says this in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If any one of us are genuine and not false Christians, It'll show in our conduct, won't it? If we're the real deal, we'll keep God's commandments. Pretty simple. The same goes for anyone who has spiritual responsibility, authority, influence over other people. If a person is a teacher or a minister or an elder or any other name for a church leader you want to use and they're not keeping God's commandments, then it's safe to say that they're not who they're claiming to be. As Jesus said so powerfully in Matthew 7, 15 to 16, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How will you recognize them? 
you will recognize them by their fruit, their actions. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Rhetorical question, no. (laughs) Fruit's bad, something else is bad going on inside. And I think this is an important and very timely application for us to consider from Jude's letter. Because as Jude 17 to 19 says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, or the last days, these days we're in right now, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jude's original hearers were living in those times. And friends, we're living in those times today too. Don't be deceived and stand firm. So not only does Jude encourage us to to not be deceived or, or not be led astray by false teachers, but, and here's why this is an encouraging letter as well, he reminds us to not despair either. To not despair To not like go, oh, the church is corrupt, I'm out of here and stick your head in the sand and cry yourself to sleep every night. No, he says, don't despair. Now, you might say, well, how so? Where's that in Jude? Well, I don't know what the heading looks like in your Bible for verses 3 to 16. And today, if you're with us and you're seeking spiritual truth or online and you don't have a Bible, please fill in a Connect card. We'll get one to you. But mine says, judgment on false teachers. That's the heading for this whole passage in my Bible. And this this is really important because while false teachers often appear to be prospering, appear to be succeeding in life at the expense of others, here's the good news. Their end will be destruction. That's not good news. (laughs) But that is, it's actually good news. People who manipulate and exploit and use the gospel for their own personal gain at the expense of others, they'll be judged for their apostasy, for leading people astray. Perhaps in this life, maybe, they might. But if not in this life, 100% guaranteed promise, they will be in the next. We can be sure of that. In verses 5 to 16, Jude references multiple historical examples of God bringing judgment. You know, you can read through it this week. The Israelites in Egypt, the angels who rejected God, Sodom and Gomorrah, and many more. And he uses these historical examples to then link to what these false teachers are doing in his day. And this serves as a warning, no doubt, no question, But this should also serve to actually encourage us. God is a just God. God rights wrongs. God is a God of justice. Now, I don't know about you, but so often when I feel when I feel discouraged, so often I feel discouraged as I see this kind of thing playing out, as I see the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. 
I hate seeing people exploiting Jesus or the gospel for their personal gain. And often I'm left feeling kind of a bit despondent, disheartened, as I look at people prospering at the expense of the others, at the expense of others, all while tarnishing the brand, so to speak, tarnishing the name of Jesus, tarring the church with the same brush, no matter what the expression is or how pure it is to the gospel. It's such a tragic thing. And if you're seeking spiritual truth today, maybe you're online, you're listening to this and and you've seen that on YouTube or something like that, let me tell you, that is not the good news of the gospel. No, nothing like that. Nothing where it's about making money and storing up treasures in this life for people in fine suits with fancy names or things like that. That's not what Christianity is all about. You know, Jude speaks to this, and, and he reminds me that, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans twelve nineteen that it's actually, it's okay to leave these things to God to deal with. Verse 19, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Jude reminds us that God does judge. He does enact vengeance on evil. And Jude encourages us, this letter is, a, is written to encourage believers then and us today that even if people prosper and cruise through life exploiting others for their own personal greed and gain and appear to get away with it until their dying breath, God's going to repay them for what they've done. God's going to repay them. He will give them what they're due. He will bring judgment one way or another. Okay, so... Jude opens his letter by explaining his purpose in writing to encourage believers to contend for the faith. Then he fleshes out the why, the nature of false teachers, why they're false, and before he ends by explaining the how, how we contend for the true faith. This is practical for us. How do we do it? How do we contend for the true faith and continue to follow Jesus in these end times where there are many scoffers, many people exploiting the gospel and Christianity and other Christians for their own personal gain. Well, verses 20 to 23 of Jude give us clarity. Read from verse 20. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. All right, I'm going to give you six very quick application points for you to consider in applying Jude's teaching to your life today. So here's the first. We contend for the true faith by studying his word. Friends, we must know God's word. We must cherish it, meditate on it regularly. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 11, he says, I have stored up your word, where? In my heart, that I might not sin against you. That's the effect of digging into God's word. That's the effect of studying in God's word. It keeps us. It protects us. It gives us insight and understanding. 
And if we want to contend for the true faith, we need to know the true faith. You know? We need to know the true faith. It's like that, I've used this uh, illustration before, but when, when, when federal agents are trying to work out what, what, is, what is a counterfeit banknote, whether it's true or false, what do they do? They don't study the false one. They go to the real thing when they're training. They, they learn the real thing. They're so familiar with it that as soon as they see a distortion of it, they know instantly and they're able to discern it and go, well, that one's false. This is the real thing. We need to know it. We must know God's word. So I encourage you, commit yourself to knowing and consuming God's word. So that's the first. Here's the second. We contend for the true faith by praying in the spirit. Now, whether you want to interpret this as praying in the spirit, whether that be of a spiritual language, in tongues, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Just allow the Holy Spirit to guide you as you pray, guide you in prayer. If you don't know what to pray, ask Holy Spirit to guide you. In, that's Romans 8, 26. Praying in the Spirit naturally is going to help you no end in contending for the true faith. After all, when we're, when we're praying in the Spirit, we're, we're inviting God by his very presence within us as believers, we're actually joining with him, inviting his intervention into our lives and circumstances and are walking in his very power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, which we sang about earlier on. And that's only going to go well for us as we contend for the true faith. Okay, here's the third. We contend for the faith by remaining in God's love. Now, you might think, well, that's a, that's a bit weird, Joel. Of course we're going to remain in God's love. Like, I'm a Christian. That's what I'm all about. I've been saved, once saved, always saved, right? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Jude, Jude warns us by highlighting the behavior of these false teachers that believers can genuinely choose to walk away from their salvation. Yeah? Let me say that again. Jude's highlighting that believers can choose to walk away from faith in God. You read the letter of Hebrews. Hebrews backs this up. The writer warns his readers in Hebrews 3.12, sorry, to take care, he says, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that does what? Leading you to fall away from the living God. Hear this this morning. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. I'm not doing that to like make you question your salvation. If you're going... I love Jesus, um, or if you're even concerned, am I saved or not? It's highlighting that you have the Spirit in your heart, you want to know God, you are saved, but it's really important to, to, to understand once saved, always saved is just simply not a biblical concept. It's actually all about the state of our hearts. We've spent lots of time on this in, in recent years, and 
Yeah. Who, who believe in Jesus? Demons? And us. That's what Jesus says. He says, even the demons believe and tremble or shudder. So belief in of itself is not enough. And if you're seeking spiritual truth today and maybe in years past you've believed in Jesus, let me tell you, that's, that's not enough when it comes to God. He wants people to know him and that's through placing faith in him. It's not about belief. It's about whether Jesus is truly Lord or not of our very lives. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And if our hearts are captured by the reality that we celebrate each and every week when we come around the communion table, if our hearts are captured by the reality that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that is what keeps us in God's love. That is what keeps us from falling away. That's the glue that sticks, that keeps us firm, that keeps us safe, that keeps us in a place where we remain in God's love. Amen? Amen. All right, here's the fourth point. We contend for the true faith by preparing for Christ's return. We we contend for the true faith by preparing for Christ's return. It's pretty straightforward. We touched on it earlier, and um, I love the Bible project. Tim Mackey's words are helpful here. He says, God's grace through Jesus demands a whole life response, not just intellectual assent, not just going, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me, and oh, yeah, I believe and I place my faith in him, and now I'm saved. I know he's saying it's a whole life response Our lives should be different as a result of our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, if, in other words, if we've believed in the gospel and we hold to the gospel, we'll actually be compelled to joyfully live out the gospel as we wait for Jesus to return. We'll be people of love, joy, peace, hope, mercy, generosity, and grace. We'll keep God's commandments. We'll give ourselves to loving God and loving others in any and every way possible that we can. Not in our own strength, but in the very power and strength of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And in doing this, in doing this, we contend for the true faith. All right, here's the fifth. We contend for the true faith by showing mercy to those who are falling away. I love this, and I'm so glad that Jude wrote these verses, verse 22 to 23. Jude writes, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What's all this pointing to? It's pointing to a role that you and I can play in seeing that people don't fall away in seeing the people stick true to and contend for the true faith, yeah? We can play a role in seeing people return to the Lord. We can play a role in seeing people come to Jesus for the very first time. Don't get me wrong, salvation is totally God's work. 
Salvation is God's work. Even the working of making people's hearts receptive to hear the gospel is nothing we can do. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But we all have a role to play in showing mercy and kindness to people who are slipping away. One writer highlights the different types of people who are led astray. He writes of three types. He says, who are those who are straying? Jude says there are three. Those who doubt, who James calls double-minded. Those who have been lured away, whom Paul warned will chase fruitless discussion. Maybe people who get caught up in secondary matters rather than the core truths of the Christian faith. And those who live defiantly, whom the writer of Hebrews describes as having been enlightened, yet have fallen away. Now, no doubt, this, this is challenging, but it's also encouraging for us, friends. Even those who have fallen away are not too far gone. Even those who have fallen away from the faith, who have completely said, no, nah, I once believed that, but I just want to go live for myself. I want to pursue the pleasures of this world. I want to go and sleep with whoever I want. I want to go and do this. I want to do all this, you know. Even people like that are not too far gone. Not too far gone at all. No one, as long as they're still breathing, that's the key, as long as there's still life in them, no one is beyond God's reach. Not one person. And yeah, maybe one day I'd have to ask this person if I could share this testimony with you. But I have someone I know who, <laughs> sounds bad, but does anyone have like a list of people that you think will never come back to God? Yep. I'm not the only one. I'm not a depraved person for having a list like that, a mental list. But, you know, they were on my list. They were on my list of people who I thought, man, they're just, their hearts are too hard. They're, they just want nothing to do with God. I don't know. And yet that one person I know has just recently returned to faith and is on fire for Jesus with, through a divine encounter where God just spoke to him and showed up and his life is slowly being transformed as a result. It's amazing. Amazing. Here's the thing. No one is beyond God's reach. Not one person. And we can all play important roles in sharing the gospel with people and seeing them return or come to the faith for the first time in Jesus. So that's the fifth. Here's the final one I want to share this morning. We contend for the true faith by finding peace through worship. At the very start of Jude's letter, he writes this in verses 1 to 2. He says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for or kept by Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Friends, here's a beautiful thought. God is always actively working to see you stick with his Son. Did you know that? God is actively working. He doesn't stop working to see that you stick with, remain with, remain firmly planted in faith, in trusting his son. If you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, hear this today. He has made a way for you to come near to God 
and be reconciled with him in fullness of relationship, to find forgiveness with God forevermore. That's what Jesus' death on the cross achieved. Relationship with God is possible for you. And if you turn to him today, if you're seeking spiritual truth today, if you turn to God with an open heart and believe that he is who he says he is and place your faith in him, you will be saved. That's it. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, here's the thing. Jesus continually intercedes at the right hand of his Father for you. God's continually working in the spiritual realm to protect you and to keep you from the clutches of the evil one. Just think about that for a moment. Does that blow your mind? This is not just a, you know, we, we kind of think in our, in our limited earthly experience of, you know, the old, the old thing, men can't multitask. And we go, well, how can, I can barely do these few things. How can Jesus be continually interceding for every single believer and follower of his on earth, continually, without need for rest, and yet he does. That's what God does. Continues to work to protect and keep you from the evil one. To see you continue on the path of life. To ensure that you don't fall away. To see you fight and contend for the true faith all the way up until you take your final breath in this life. And continue on into the next. Praise God. Friends, I don't know, if this is not reason for us to, to respond in worship and adoration to our Lord, then I don't know what is. I don't know what is. You know, we can take comfort. We can take comfort in these end times that whilst... A lot of stuff out there looks like it's pear-shaped. It looks like people are getting away with exploiting the gospel. Their judgment's coming one way or another. That's what Jude encourages us in. We don't, know, we don't need to fear. We don't need to fret. We need to be wise and discerning. We shouldn't support people like that. Not at all. Shouldn't give them assent. But the good news is that God is actively wanting to see us continue in faith with him to the very end. And he provides ways for us to do that. And if you're seeking spiritual truth today, he wants to see you come to the true faith, place your faith in Jesus, and then he, want, he will walk with you by his indwelling spirit in your very body to guide you in all truth in living for him each day of your life. How about, we just, how about we just thank God and close our time in prayer for this beautiful letter, this beautiful letter, and the wonder of his word and what it means for us as we live this life and commit to following him and don't fall away. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord, we thank you so much for this for your word, we thank you for all your word. We thank you specifically this morning for this letter, this letter of Jude. It's small and yet it packs a punch, God. 
And it's so applicable to today. It's not like one of those parts of Scripture we read and we kind of go, oh, don't really know how that applies to me right now. We can see it, God. We know. We are in these end times, just like Jude was experiencing the people in his day. We're in times where so many people seem to exploit Christianity or the gospel for their own personal gain. And it's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to get led astray by that. But God, we want to be people, as Jude encourages, who contend for the true faith, who don't go to the left nor the right, but stick straight with the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, handed down from generations before, that says that we are saved not just by by belief in, oh yeah, Jesus believes, but we're saved by grace through faith, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you that you enable us to stick with you all the way to our dying breath, Lord, that it's not by our striving, sure, we join with you, but it's not our work. You are actively working supernaturally, in the spiritual realms, to see us stand firm, to stick with and contend for the true faith. And we thank you for that, God. Would we be more open to understanding what that means for us? Would we be more open to your work in our lives, Holy Spirit, to be more discerning, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit as we rest in you, as we trust you, as we enjoy you? And God, help us to be people of your word, to be people of prayer and people who play our part in seeing other people not fall away, but be saved from falling away, drawn back to the truth of the gospel. And so that they may, as as was said earlier, that they may reap the eternal rewards of eternity, just like we will too one day. So we thank you, God. We thank you for your word. And we pray that we would go into this week with a renewed passion to stick with you and be people of your word. Put on our hearts this week, God, to read Jude, to to immerse ourselves in this book and draw out more lessons for ourselves as led by you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, God. And we pray this all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen.